See, here's what the scriptures and Jesus will teach over and over and over. The essence of sin is not just our actions and the bad things that we do. That's certainly a part of sin, but it's more the indicator of a far deeper kind of heart reality. The essence of sin, according to the Bible, is running to anything in our life for fulfillment and satisfaction in life in place of God. That is the essence of it. It's making anything in our life the ultimate thing and chasing after it and believing this is what I need. This is what I most deeply long for. Yeah, it's good to have God in my life and I hope that He's there and I hope that He's helping me, but really what I'm living for is this. Whenever I get this, everything's going to come together. I'll be fulfilled. I don't need anything else. That is the shape of every one of our hearts. And Jesus is essentially saying to Him and to us, You have a far deeper problem, and I'm here to heal that, to reconcile you to the Father. That's what you most deeply need. There's a great scene in the story, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, from the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. There's a great story about Eustace. Eustace is this boy who was incredibly selfish and, and hateful towards other kids, and, and he was despised, and, and he just he never could get along with anyone. And Eustace, this just miserable kid, through a dream, finds himself uh, on this great ship called the Dawn Treader. And he's out on a voyage, and they arrive at this island, and they dock up at this island, and he, he leaves the ship, and he goes out to explore, and he finds this cave... And he wanders into this cave and he finds this incredible treasure, rubies and diamonds and crowns. What he doesn't realize is that it's actually a dragon's lair that he's made his way into. And as he comes in and he sees all of this treasure, he thinks to himself, I'm rich. I'm rich. This changes everything. This, this, I'll, I'll be able to go back to my life. I'll hold this over everyone. I'll be the envy of everyone. I'm going to pay everyone back for everything they did to me. I'll be exalted over all of them. And as he's dreaming about what this means for his life, finally he's going to be above everyone. He falls asleep on his treasure. And he wakes up a dragon. Because he had gone to sleep with all these monstrous, dragonish desires in his heart he wakes up and discovers himself to actually have become what was most deeply in his heart. He's a dragon. And he begins to realize his life is over. He can't go back to his life. More than anything, this is now really going to alienate him from everyone. He can't go back to his friends. He can't go back to that place. He can't go back to the ship because he's a dragon. And he begins to despair of his life. And then he meets Aslan the great lion, the Christ figure in the story. And Aslan leads him to a pool of clear water. And Aslan says to him, undress and get in the water. What he begins to realize that Aslan meant by that is take your skin off. Take the dragon skin off. Take this off what is on you. And so he begins to claw at his skin and he takes off a layer of skin and then he finds... There's just another layer underneath. So he starts clawing again, and he takes off another layer and another layer, and then he's just in despair, and he realizes, I can't get deep enough. It's too deep. The the dragon in me is far too deep. 
And Aslan essentially says to him, I've got to go deeper, and I'm the only one who can go. And here is how Eustace describes the experience of Aslan's hearing. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the three other times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then I saw I'd turned into a boy again. It's an incredible picture of the deeper healing that Jesus wants to bring to us when we become a disciple of Him. And the reality is, just like Eustace, that work of deeper healing is often incredibly painful. It's also something we cannot bring about ourselves. It's something that you have to let Him do. Even as Aslan says to him, you've got to let me take it off. And you've got to let me go deeper. And sometimes it feels like it's clawing at the very depths of your heart. But yet his intention is to bring about a healing so in whole that we become, like Eustace, a human again. We become what we have been created to be. You see, so often we just want to be able to bring about the change in the external, the change in the circumstances, and yet Jesus comes to us and says, you need something far more deep in your life. There's a final thing to see here, and that is the cost of this healing and forgiveness that Jesus brings. So in the story, as he says in that moment, Over the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. All the Pharisees and teachers of the law in the room begin to be angry and very concerned. They begin to think in their hearts, that's blasphemy for a man to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So this this man is essentially claiming to be God. This is blasphemy. And they would be right if Jesus were merely a man. And so Jesus responds to them in this way. Realizing what they're thinking, he says, which is easier to say? He poses this question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, that's interesting, and Jesus was always doing this. He would say something that has a surface-level meaning, but then there's a far deeper one. And if you think about that question on the surface, which really is harder to say? Well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because how can you tell? Right? It's kind of an unseen reality. It's not something that you can prove. And so someone could say that quite easily. But for someone to look at someone who's paralyzed and say, get up and walk, well, that's a lot harder because either it's going to work or it's not. Either either you're going to have the power to do it or you're going to be exposed. That would seem like a far harder thing to do. So Jesus looks at the man and he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And in that exact moment, the man is healed. He stands up, lifts up his mat, leaping with joy, and runs home. And Jesus, in in 
what he says to them demonstrates why he does this. He says, verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He heals as a demonstration of his authority to forgive. The power of his healing shows that he has the authority to forgive sins. So he uses the healing to show, I have the authority to forgive sins. But still, that question is really a deeper question, isn't it? And all commentators, as they wrestle with this question, they're like, this is the kind of question that kind of lingers on you. You answer it at the beginning, but then you keep thinking about it, and you're like, wait a minute, which really is easier? Which really is easier to say? Because to forgive someone requires a great deal. But how costly is it to look at a person and say, all your sins are forgiven? You see, because forgiveness is not in any way an easy thing, is it? If you've ever tried to forgive another person, you know something of the cost of forgiveness. See, sometimes we kind of throw around that word forgiveness and we treat it pretty lightly. You know, forgiveness becomes tantamount to, yeah, I'll let it go. That's not what forgiveness is. You know, when someone wrongs us, When someone hurts us in some deep way, when someone violates us in some way, there is a real debt that is incurred. There's a wrong that has taken place. And so someone has to pay because there's a debt. And so oftentimes what we want to do when someone wrongs us is that we're going to make them pay. We have all kinds of ways of doing that. Bitterness, uh, tearing down their reputation to other people holding them at arm's length, the cold shoulder. We have all kinds of ways of making another person pay for what they've done to us. But here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is looking at another person who's wounded you and hurt you and incurred a debt against you. And it is saying, I'm going to pay. That's the essence of forgiveness. It's saying, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. Instead, there is a real payment. There is a real debt. It's not riding over or, or brushing aside what's happened. It's saying there is real hurt here, but I'm going to forgive you, which means I'm going to pay the debt. And if you've ever tried to do that, you know that is incredibly costly. So the question is, what did it cost Jesus to look at this man and say, your sins are forgiven? The answer is everything. It cost him everything. Even in that moment, as Jesus looks upon that man, knowing everything that is true about him and says, your sins are forgiven, he knew that that would cost him his life. You see, even at this point in the book of Luke, the shadow of the cross is casting itself over Jesus. Even at this point, he knows this is going to cost me everything. I'm going to have to go to the cross I'm going to have to pay your debt. I'm going to have to bear your sin. Have you experienced Jesus looking upon you and saying, your sins are forgiven? Have you ever experienced that? And when you begin to realize the depth of that cost... And not only the cost, but the links that he went to in the cross, the completeness of his work, that if you're in union with Christ, that is exactly what he's done. 
If you have been united to Christ by faith, He has looked upon you and said, Your sins are forgiven. And once you begin to understand forgiveness in that vein, it's life-transforming. It, that, that really, at the essence, I'm like this crippled man before him, and yet he has looked upon me and said, your sins are forgiven. When that hits home in your heart, you become like this man who leaps with joy. So let's do a little application here. Pull out your sermon notes. Here's the first question that I want you to wrestle with here, to wrestle with very personally. And here's the question. What is the one thing in your life right now that you think, if I only had this, if this only happened, if I could actually get to this place, I'd be happy, I'd be secure, I'd be fulfilled? What is that thing in your life? And listen, we've all got that. We're all chasing after something and thinking, if I can just get here, if I can just get that relationship, if this will just come through, if this will just happen in my life, if I can just get my, my figure down to this perfect size here, if I can just meet a husband or a wife, if, if I can just have this in my life, what is it for you that you're thinking this will fulfill me? And the follow-up question to that is, do you think that will ultimately deliver? Do you think that will ultimately fulfill you? Because the reality is, if you've lived life at all, when you get that thing, it doesn't deliver. Have you experienced that? And here's what immediately happens in us. Rather than saying, whoa, wait a minute, maybe the problem is chasing after these things. We don't often do that. What often happens is in that moment we say, okay, what am I chasing next? You identify with that? So what will ultimately deliver and satisfy? It's a huge question. And then here's the last question. Are you experiencing Jesus saying to you now, your sins are forgiven? Are you experiencing that in a daily reality? Not just do you believe it here, but are you experiencing that in your heart? The freedom of that. So stop there. For a few moments, and we, we do this at the end of the sermon, we give just a little time to interact over the passage and how it's striking us. I'd love to hear from one another, and in this, sometimes people share and it like sounds really profound, and I just want to say, if you're sitting there thinking, I'd like to say something, but it might not sound that profound, I would, it would actually be helpful if you would speak up, actually, because... We're all in a different place, and this is going to hit us in different places. And so we'd love to hear from you. How does this strike you? How does it challenge you? What kind of questions does it raise in you? When he said that his sins are forgiven, it sort of made me think maybe he 
walked at one time, and because he committed such a sin, his his uh, punishment was being paralyzed. Well, so what? Tell me what you said at the first part. I just missed the first part of what you said. When Jesus said, "Your sins are forgiven," yeah, it made me think maybe the man became paralyzed because of his sin, unless if. The only other option was we're born sinners, so he could have been born that way. But at the same time, he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. So it made me really think that maybe he, that was his punishment. Well, And that, that's why he let him walk. Yes. Now get up and walk. Right. Well, Rachel, that is a great question. And I think it really gets at the heart of how Jesus is able to say that. Because naturally we think that that if I'm experiencing the consequences of my sin, that the way that I'm going to get and find forgiveness of that sin is to pay for it. That's deeply rooted in our hearts. We think that's how it works, right? That if I've done something wrong, then I need to pay for that so I can get back in the right. But you see, Jesus turns that whole way of thinking upside down because Jesus says, you can't do that. In fact, that's what the... So then he was born that way. Well, it, whether he was born that way or not, whether the, the, the physical reality was because of sin, Jesus is saying the deeper reality is the guilt of your sin. Whether or not it has anything to do with being paralyzed, he was, the guy was, was more aware of his physical need than his spiritual need, and Jesus essentially saying, you are a sinner and you need forgiveness. And you see, that only comes, the Pharisees who are here, they think the way that you get forgiven is by paying for your sin. That's why they're so offended that somebody would just so easily look at someone before they've done anything. The guy didn't do anything. So the the guy, guy just receives it. The guy got two in one then. He was shown. He got two in one. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Not only, you know, you're coming here so you can walk, but I'm showing you you're a sinner as well. Exactly. And he didn't see that. Yes, he didn't see it, and that was a part of the deeper healing that Jesus wanted to bring, is to say, yeah, I understand you need healing. I care about that, but you need a deeper healing, and Jesus gives it. I got it. It's, that's a, yeah, it's a, great, it's a great question, and I, I think it's, what a great contrast between the Pharisees who are thinking, here's how it works, you pay for sin, and then it's forgiven, and so they're they're offended that somebody who hadn't done the hard work of paying for their sin can just get forgiveness. How does that work? And you see, Jesus realizes, and his whole life's about this, the heart of the gospel. You cannot pay for it. And we try to do that. You know, when we sin, what do you do when you sin? Man, I start doing this. Bam. You know, I start beating myself up. I want to show God I'm really serious. I'm really mad at myself so that God will say, okay, stop, stop, I've seen enough. Okay, you're forgiven. But what Jesus is showing here, I mean, he just, the man didn't do anything. The man didn't pray a sinner's prayer. He didn't walk an aisle. He couldn't. He didn't do anything. Jesus just looked on him and said, your sins are forgiven. So free. And that's the thing that's got to hit home in our hearts. The freeness of it, because when the freeness hits home in your heart, it frees you from all those things you're running after in your life. Sarah, I think Sarah was next. 
So what you were just saying kind of was what I was thinking, like um, the question that you asked a second ago, are you experiencing Jesus saying your sins are forgiven? I'm thinking, well, I know that I have experienced that, but like you said, whenever I sin, then I'm just like beating myself up or I have to think I have to do certain things to kind of pay for my sin, which is the opposite of the gospel. But I guess I'm like, well, then how do I, I guess it's just stop doing that, but it feels hard when I'm like, well, it's up to you, God, to do something, but it feels like you're not. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess the question is, and I, I know what you're going to say, but <laughs> how, can I, uh, how can I experience How do you that? experience yeah. the forgiveness of Jesus? Yeah, and it's, it's what we talk about all the time. It's repenting and believing the gospel, a never-ending process of repenting and believing the gospel. Because the reality is, is that if you're united to Christ, then it means all of your sins have been paid for past, present, and future. So that's a true reality. And so it doesn't mean, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, repentance is coming and seeing your sin, but then it's turning to receive and experience His forgiveness again. And so the experience of it really does come in the face of seeing and acknowledging your sin. And that's why that's an ongoing process there. But it's repenting and believing the gospel. But it's not, it's not getting him to do something he's not done before. It's, it's experiencing what's already taken place in me, if that makes sense. What do you do with um, sin has consequences? Yeah. And, and my sin has had, in particular, had consequences in other people's lives. That yes. Are that's right. It is so difficult sometimes to walk yes. in God's forgiveness when you're seeing the result of your sin in other yes. people. Yes, um, yeah. How do you, I guess the answer is the same as it was with Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what, It seems like you, from time to time you experience that freedom and then yeah. look around and you say... I'm, you know, I'm never going to escape the consequences of yes. some of those things. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you asked that, Scott. Uh, so he's saying, what, how, how does this apply when you're, <clears throat> when you're experiencing the consequences of your sin, the very real consequences and fallout of something that you've done? I love that you asked that question because that's a part of where the rubber really meets the road for us. And I bet there's a lot of people that were thinking that exact question whenever you asked it. Because it's one thing to experience that forgiveness, but then when you are facing and living in the consequences, and the reality is, is that sin has consequences. It has fallout. Our choices have fallout in our life, and God doesn't always remove that from our life. And so that's when really believing the gospel becomes so deeply challenging because we're continuing to face what is the consequences of that sin And it's challenging, do I really believe that I'm forgiven of this? Even if there's consequences, I'm no longer guilty for this. And it's hard to make that distinction. And and the enemy, Satan, is active at at accusing us and wanting to take our, our consequences and use them to accuse us like we're still guilty. 
But the reality is, is that once we've been forgiven by Christ, even if there's consequences, we no longer bear the guilt of the sin. And that, I think, is essential to walking faithfully in those consequences. That in that place, those consequences can be something that reminds me of the depth of that forgiveness. Does that make sense? So it can actually be something that drives me back to the joy of His forgiveness. That is like, I'm grieving over what my sin has caused, but Jesus, I am so thankful that you have taken my guilt away in this. I'm not guilty for this anymore. There's no condemnation for me anymore. And we might feel that condemnation, but it's not from Him. It's from the accuser or from ourselves, or from other people. And so that's where really leaning into the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves becomes so critical. That's a great question, Scott. And what often happens for us is that we just get overwhelmed by our circumstances and our sense of guilt. And we just can't believe, I can't believe I'm forgiven. It's just, it was too much. The sin was too great. I can't be forgiven of this. And that we, we easily get there. Is there someone else? Yeah. Um, would Jesus, did Jesus have to forgive him before he let him walk? That's a great question. Wow, man. It's the most challenging question here. Yeah. I, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let us pray. No. That's a great question. Here's what I think. I, I don't think that he had to forgive him to heal him, because we see a lot of times where Jesus was healing people physically, but not necessarily, these weren't necessarily people that were becoming followers of Jesus. You know, Jesus in his ministry was healing because he was demonstrating the kingdom of God is coming. But not every single person, he healed people that never did become his disciples. So I think that's the answer in that situation. That's a great question, Amelia. So let's do let us pray now before another one of those comes. Thank you for asking that, Amelia. That was great. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need the deepest renovation of the heart that only you can bring into our life. And I pray that you would just open us to that that deeper healing, that you would allow us to just find time to process this today and this week, that we would get away with you and really consider these things. Am I experiencing your forgiveness? Is that my joy? Is that my life? What are the things in my life I'm still chasing after? And how do I find your forgiveness even in those places? And I pray that we would just each experience you looking upon us with great compassion and saying, your sins are forgiven. And would that be our joy? Would that be our joy to drive us in mission in Dade County? That we would forgive recklessly the wrongs that are done to us because we have been so freely forgiven by you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.